Our scripture this morning finds us in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4. We'll begin with verse 25. So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands, so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up, as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. First, first a moment of, am I on here on the mic there? Okay. First a moment of personal privilege. I just want to say how much it means to have Brian here with us today. I think it was about 10 years ago um, under the elm trees out here that we shared a vision of something like Haywood Street happening here in Asheville and what a joy it's been these 10 years of mutual friendship and ministry together. Thank you for helping to lead worship for us today, Brian. In his book, The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis has this picture of hell and what really haunts me is it comes so close to the picture of hell that as humans we tend to create here on this earth. And this is how um, Lewis pictured hell said it's a vast gray city inhabited only on the outskirts, just empty streets in the middle. Why? Because everyone who once lived there quarreled with their neighbors and moved on. And then they quarreled with their new neighbors and moved on again. And so what's left behind? Empty streets, row after row of empty houses. And Lewis said, that's why hell is so large because it keeps expanding on the outskirts and on the edges. It, it's a picture of, of humanity that has chosen uh, ongoing enmity and unforgiveness. And then along comes Paul here in this letter of Ephesians and he presents a whole nother vision of the human community, robust and Christ-like love and mercy and grace. What can we say about the letter of Ephesus or what do we think we know? We're pretty sure that Paul actually wrote this to all the early churches. But see, copies were made and then particular names were filled into the particular copies, but the letter that we have in the New Testament just happened to arrive at the mailbox in Ephesus. <laughs> but Paul wrote it to all the churches, and if we believe this is a living word, which we do, you might say it's written, it's written to us. Now, one of the underlying themes of Ephesians is, is Paul's contention that the 
the very energetic bang that formed the universe has now been released into the followers of Christ. Think about that. His insistence that this same kind of energy is now ushering in a new age of humanity and we're called to live in a new way. And so he uses the word therefore. I think in three chapters he uses it nine times. He uses it at the beginning of these verses that we read. Therefore, he said, put away all falsehood. He said, speak truth with your neighbors because they are your neighbors. You belong to each other. He said, you can be angry because people get angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun set on your anger. And for goodness sake, when you open your mouth, do not speak evil, but only that which is upbuilding. He said, lay aside all malice and all slander. And then comes the capstone of this, this real wonderful section of scripture. He says, therefore, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Now, I know that Paul didn't have one of those little yellow highlighters, but he did have a quill pen, you know, and, and I have to think maybe at times he underlined something in his letters. And if he ever underlined a few words, I think he would have these last words, kind, tenderhearted, forgiving. Why would he underline that? Because he knew that the followers of Jesus, as they walked out into the Mediterranean world, they weren't going to find a lot of forgiveness there. They were going to see something that looked a little more like Lewis's version of what hell is like. We don't see a lot of it either, do we? It's not hard for you to imagine this picture. These things happen. A 10-year-old boy, he's standing on the edge of a pond. He has his father's best rod and reel in hand. And his dad is teaching him how to cast, you know, how to put your thumb on it just the right way the right flip of the wrist. Hey, but he's a 10-year-old boy, and he's much more interested in catching fish than he is in learning how to cast. So now comes his time, and, well, he doesn't put his thumb in just the right place, and he doesn't twist, flip the wrist. And, well, the lure not only goes kerplunk on the ground, but now it has unraveled. It is all tangled, and the little boy desperately looks at his father, who is desperately trying to be a father, but... The father just gets impulsive and he yanks the rod and reel from his son and says, I can't trust you to ever listen to anything. You can't do anything right. Just give me that. Well, that's what we see a lot of. I mean, anger, unforgiveness. And then we see um, just coddled resentment and um, grudges held on to. You know I love to tell Fred Craddock stories, and he's on a plane. You know what it's like to be on a plane. When you get on a plane and you're by yourself, you, you want to be by yourself. You want to sleep a little, read a little. But when you get in those little two-seat sections, well, you have to deal with the cards that have been dealt you. And sitting next to him was a woman. Well, she was noticeably crying. Craddock said, really wasn't any of my business. I let it go, but she kept crying. And I thought, I need to do something that shows some consolation from my part so I reached for a handkerchief and I handed it to her and I said I can see by your emotions this must be a very difficult journey she said yes it is I'm going to my father's funeral oh well I can see by by your your feelings right now and you're crying that you must have been very close no we weren't close at all and that's why I'm crying 17 years ago she said I sat at my 
in my father's house. I was at his table. We were having dinner together. And he started talking to me in the most condescending tone, just made me sick, made me feel like a silly little girl. And I looked at him and I said, I'm not that little girl anymore. You stop talking to me like that. And he kept talking in those same tones. And I got up from the table, pushed back my chair, took my napkin, threw it down in the mashed potatoes. I called him an ugly name. I walked out of the door, slammed the door. And she said to Craddock, that was 17 years ago. I haven't written to him, talked to him, seen him since, and now he's dead. That's what we see a lot of, you know. Someone acts grievous toward us. Hold on to the grudge. Keep the resentment alive. Frederick Pickner described it this way. He said, oh, oh, how we love to lick our wounds and um, just smack our lips over grievances long past and roll our tongue over confrontations still to come. Oh, it seems like a feast fit for a king until one day we realize what we're wolfing down is ourselves and that the skeleton at the feast is us. Often that's that's the human story. Here's the other thing that ought to bother us. Sometimes what we say is forgiveness really doesn't play out like Christ-like forgiveness. Now remember, when we talk about forgiveness here, we're talking about gospel forgiveness, the kind embodied by Jesus. And, and, and the whole purpose of this is, is the power to maintain and sustain robust, healthy relationships. You know? But for that to happen, for there to be efficacy and forgiveness, it has to be clean, clear, free. It's over, it's done. Yes, this happened, but I choose not to let it stand between us. This will not define or determine the future of our relationship. Clean, clear, free, over. So often that's not quite what we really see or hear. I hear often something that goes like this. Yeah, okay. I think I'm going to let it go this time. I'm going to let it go this time, but you better not do it again. Now, that's just a verbal equivalent of a cold shrug of the shoulder. A lot of times, the forgiveness that we hear and see is really a kind of indifference. Um, we dismiss others by saying we're forgiving them and then doing less and less and less with them until we do nothing with them at all. It just becomes a way of exiting them out. Well, how come it's so hard? I mean, is it really that hard to live our way into the kind of forgiveness Paul is talking about? Are there reasons for that? Yeah, there, there are plenty of reasons. Forgiveness is not one of those external acts. You know, when I drop $20 into the bucket at Salvation Army there at Christmas time, that's a Christ-like thing. But I can do that without really churning up too much inside myself. But to forgive somebody, something happens inside of me. It has to. We have to surrender something that often looks like power. Now, you can imagine this scene. Husband and wife. They've been in the middle of a rather typical marital conflict. They've gone through the usual litany of argument and counter-argument and insinuation 
and um, accusations, protestations, dredging up a little bit from the past, and now they're on opposite ends of the room, both of them sitting there with arm folded. They're in a standoff. Now we know what needs to happen. They need to find their way to the middle of the room and into a forgiving embrace. What keeps them from doing that? Plenty. <laughs> yeah, plenty. For one thing, somebody's got to make the first move. And for somebody to make the first moves means they have to surrender something, power. The power to be right. Have you ever found it? sometimes you'd rather be right than be reconciled? <laughs> oh, and there's another kind of power that has to get surrendered. The power to manipulate through distance. If I keep standing over on my side of the room with my arms crossed with that basset hound look, Sounds like I've tried that. <laughs> if I stand there with that basset hound look, and then maybe she'll think, I'm the victim, and she'll have to come crawling to me. Oh, but then when someone makes the move, first move, the other one is going to have to make choice about surrender. What kind of surrender? The power to punish. Who wants to give that up, huh? Oh, here you come with olive branch in hand, crawling on bended knee. It's about time you apologized. It's about time. And brother, I'm going to remind you what you did time and time again, day after day. Who wants to give up that? But the even deeper challenge to forgiveness is really simple. It goes against our penchant for fairness. Right? I mean... Forgiveness is an outrage against straight-line, dues-paying morality. George Bernard Shaw said it's a beggar's refuge. Any preacher that's going to stand here and preach this sermon from Ephesians better know that it's going against the grain of a yen for a fair deal. So how do people like us find our way to really live out this truth? I think... I think it might just begin by realizing that what Paul is really doing here. Paul is no pie-in-the-sky philosopher. He's not saying that this is easy, that this is a natural thing to do. No, what he is saying is this is how we as followers of Christ usher in an entirely new age. He would say this is power. It's a different kind of power. It's the gift that God has given us to the world to redeem and restore all relationships. When I forgive, I'm not playing the doormat role. Oh, come and just keep walking over me. No, it really is a paradoxical move of strength. When I forgive, I'm choosing not to let the quality of somebody else's behavior determine mine. In Christ-like freedom, when I forgive, you see what I'm doing? I'm choosing to put an end to the endless cycle of enmity, retaliation, revenge. You know the problem with getting even? The fairness never comes. This is what I've seen. It just hooks the injured and the injurer into this escalator ride that never lets anybody off. Forgiveness is God's gift to less unfairness. I know, I know there are people who think forgiveness is a cheap trick religious circles play to try to get people just to say, well, I guess it didn't mean that much. It's not that important. No. 
Forgiveness assumes that something of significance happens when somebody acts grievously toward another. That has consequences. That carries pain. Forgiveness assumes it's significant. But when I forgive, I dare to look at the hurt and choose to say, for your sake, for my sake, for the creation's sake, this is not going to stand between us. Over, done, clean, clear, free. Now it helps me to know the promise that is in these words for all humanity. But I'm going to be honest. Sometimes it's just really hard to forgive, isn't it? Even when I know that this is what's going to redeem the creation. Even when I know that. When you've done something to me that has damaged the fabric of our relationship, if I've done something to you, well, sometimes ask us to be polite. Okay, I can do that. Ask us to eat the, treat the other person fairly again. Yes, I can maybe do that. Ask us to be civil to them. All right. But to let it go, it's over. Hmm. That's hard. But listen. Listen to the final words here, because this is the key to this whole teaching. Be kind, said Paul, tenderhearted, forgiving one another what asks God has forgiven you. You see, we don't have to, you and I don't have to go out there and create grace. There, there's a stream of it already flowing in and around us. And every time I attempt to forgive another human being, no matter how half-hearted and how halting my efforts might be, I am participating. I'm participating in a forgiveness that's already there. That's our hope. That's our hope, to participate in what's already there. Last week when Luke and I had this dialogical sermon and we were talking about what keeps us in church. Why do we still bother with being church? One reason, he said one of his main reasons is this table, this altar table. What it has meant to him and how it just keeps getting longer and larger for the world. I, I, I think he was on to something. I, I think that the altar table is the most important piece of furniture in the church. That's hard for a preacher to say, you know, just, yeah. I think it might be the most important piece of furniture in the world. Because at this altar table, we receive something, the very sacrament of grace. If you're having a hard time forgiving this morning somebody, here's a place to come. At the altar table we remember at the altar, we're open and vulnerable. We're not defensive and self-protecting. We're not comparing and being compared. We're not impressing and being impressed. At the altar table, we're just there before God. And we receive what? Tender-hearted mercy. I'm going to end with this story. It comes from Brendan Manning. I've enjoyed his works. He was a Catholic priest 
lost his credentials through some years of addiction, comes back around and becomes this powerful Christian writer. He, he's, a, he's a salty Christian writer. He's, he's, he's kind of raw and real, but he tells a lot of truth. He wrote his book, Ragamuffin Gospel. And he tells this story, I think it was about 20 years ago, far west, a large city. There was this Catholic woman that had gained a reputation of being something of a mystic, a visionary. She had these moments of Jesus appearing to her and speaking to her. Well, the word got to the archbishop, and he wasn't cynical about it, but he knew there's a, just a fine line between a genuine mystic and just kind of the lunatic fringe. So he thought, I ought to meet her. And so they got together and they had a rather friendly conversation. And then he, he, he turned to her and he said, look, next time you have one of these visions and conversations with Jesus, would you ask Jesus a question? And she said, yes. And he said, well, just ask Jesus, what was it, what sins did I confess at my last confession? And she said, at yours? You're asking me to talk to Jesus about some of your past wrongdoings? And he says, yes, if you learn anything, call me. <laughs> Ten days later, she calls the archbishop. She said, I've had another apparition, another vision. He gets in the car. He goes to see her. He believes in eye-to-eye -eye contact. And he said, so you're telling me you had another vision in a moment with Jesus? She said, yes. He said, you remember the question that I wanted you to ask? She said, yes. He wanted me to, to ask Jesus, um, what were the last things, those last sins that you confessed at your last confession? And the bishop said, well, what did Jesus say? So she leans forward and she puts his, her hand on his arms and she said, Jesus said these exact words, I can't remember. <laughs> you get it? I, I can't remember. Yeah. A great loving God who forgets what we've done and left undone because this great God wants to remember me, remember you, never forgetting we're God's beloved. Yeah. If you're having a hard time forgiving somebody this morning, just, just go there. Just go there. Come, come to the altar. Come to the altar table. And here you'll remember that someone to whom you owe everything. Oh my goodness, your life, your breath, your fondness for fresh tomatoes, your pleasures in the moon and the stars. It's God who has given and given and given and sometimes gotten very little precious return. This great someone, this great God has taken your whole stack of IOUs and torn them up, balanced the books in one fell swoop for one reason. This holy someone wants to be in relationship with you. Wants you to be free to respond. Now, if you let that sink in, if you let that get into your heart, how can you, how can any of us
pass on any chance to do the same. Be kind, be tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you.